The following is a message by Dr. Howell Jones from Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or Westminster Seminary, visit us online at wscal.edu or call us at 760-480-8474. That's online at wscal.edu or call us at 760-480-8474. O Lord God Almighty, eternal and everlasting, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, there is no God but Thee. Thou dost know of any, and we thank Thee that by Thy gracious dealings with us we know of none too. Thou alone art good, and we cannot conceive of any goodness that causes us to turn from Thee. We know Thee the bitterness of doing so. We therefore humble ourselves before thee once more and pray in the name of thy Son that thy Holy Spirit, O God our Father, will cleanse and purify us now as we come to thy word and into thy presence and to thy courts with praise and thanksgiving as thy people have ever done and thou dost bid them still to do. Enable us to worship thee in spirit and truth. Be pleased to speak to us graciously. Teach us in the way we ought to go. Show what we ought to repudiate, both in terms of our thinking, desiring, speaking, and acting. Make us more like thy Son. Increase within us that image, marred by sin, which thou hast begun to restore, for which we thank thee, and for whose consummation and fulfillment we Look forward with anticipation when we shall see thee as thou art and be like thee and with thee forever and ever. Pardon our sins, uphold the work of the seminary, bless its witness, and receive our thanks for all thy mercies. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated, please. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 3, the opening eight verses by way of a reading from the Word of God. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 8. Let us hear the Word of God. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it, or touch it, or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die, for God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. And she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of them both were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. 
They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So far, our reading from God's word. We resume our consideration of this most important chapter in the Holy Scriptures, which records for us how evil entered the world through the intrusion of the old serpent, the devil, and how it became sin in the human race through the transgression of Adam and Eve. In saying Adam and Eve in that order, uh, we're not uh, observing the the order in which each sinned, but recognizing that Adam's sin was of greater importance and significance than that of Eve, because he was the head. She was only the helpmate. He, therefore, sinned as head, as prophet, priest, king in the garden shrine of God. And that distinction is observed in various ways in the rest of the chapter, as it is, of course, throughout the whole of the Bible. Now, this semester, we take up verses 7 through 20, which record for us the consequences of that sin. And by way of counting the verses, we may deduce that there is more information here about the consequences of sin than about its entry. And that might indicate that the writer of this book is more concerned that we should realize the kind of beings we now are, the kind of world in which we now live, rather than inquire beyond what is recorded in the word as to what lay behind Satan's intervention in the garden. Because it's certainly true that no one born into this world is now put on trial as Adam was. We are all born fallen. No one sins after the similitude of Adam's transgression. And attempts to deal with evil, which mark the long history of mankind, all fail because evil is regarded as not being sin. Sin is against God. And until... Sin against God and sin as Satan's masterpiece are recognized it cannot truly and properly be remedied or eradicated. So the results of the fall are the facts of human life in every human being in this present world. Before us this morning is the first result of that sin. We find it in verses 7 and 8. The opening words of verse 7 provide us with an obvious title. Here is a real eye-opener. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew. Common expression, we still use it. It's a common experience. It can be a metaphor for pleasant surprise. You think of the road to Emmaus. The disciples' eyes were opened and they recognized who it was that was with them. But here is no pleasant surprise. Here is an unpleasant shock. Life-shattering. Not just life-changing. The consequences of which are going to be 
world-changing and not merely life-shattering. Here then is unpleasant shock. Never bright morning again or almost. Well, what did they see when their eyes were opened? And by the opening of the eyes, of course, is meant the mind, the conscience. They were expecting to know more of God, more of good and evil than they previously had done by means of God's dealings with him, with them and his words to them. Previously, they knew that good was what he said. Evil was what he forbade. That was what they knew. And in this garden shrine, goodness surrounded them. And the character of God's good word was illustrated before their very eyes. That was what they knew. And it should have been enough. It should have been more than enough. Well, what then was this extra knowledge that they clutched at? Was it a knowledge of good and evil that made them like God? Or was it a knowledge of good and evil that made them like Satan? Like God. That was what they had been led to expect. They were told that God had a knowledge which he had denied to them. Which he was determined not to share with them. God knows. Determined to keep to himself. By implication. A knowledge that was enriching. Liberating. Elevating. A knowledge that hadn't been communicated to them. By the word of God and his dealings with them. It lay behind that word. It was something hidden. Esoteric. Not something disclosed, something revealed. That was the knowledge that they were expecting. Something secret. Satan was the first Gnostic. Well, did they become like God? Did they become autonomous? Did they become sovereign? Were they now able to determine independently for themselves... Determine what was good and determine what was evil. Well, look at them. Their eyes were opened and they knew they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and they made themselves loincloths and they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day and they hid themselves. Like God. Not only are they not like God, they're no longer like themselves. As they once were. They're now diminished. They're now depraved. They're now on the downward path to death. As God had said. They've taken the first step on it. That slippery slope. The downward path, not the upward route to life. And it's always the case. Demote God. You demean yourself. Inevitably. Like God? No. Certainly not like God. You shall be like God, knowing good and evil. 
a great lie, but an attractive, deceptive lie. And an attractive, deceptive lie still to all who are fallen in sin and evil at heart. Like Satan then, did the knowledge that they obtain make them like Satan? Because Satan isn't ignorant of good and evil, is he? He has a knowledge of good and evil, but quite unlike God. God knows what is good, knows what is evil, declares it, tells it as it is. Satan knows good and evil, denies good, distorts it, presents evil as if it's good, confuses the whole moral picture. The knowledge that they were given by God ennobled them. The knowledge they gained demeaned them, debased them, just as Satan had been debased in the heavenlies. It changed them for the worse, not the better. Not only were they no longer like themselves, but now they were like Satan. They were now of their father, the devil. Theirs was a knowledge of good and evil that was in common with Satan. Two respects. We're told what they were. Their eyes were opened and they knew. They knew that they were naked. Their eyes were open and they knew they needed to hide. What a difference. Never bright morning again. They knew that they were naked. The last verse of chapter 2 tells us that they knew that before. This isn't something blindingly novel. But it's very, very different. Chapter 2, verse 25 says, The man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now, they know and they are. Why? Well, prior to this sin, you see, there was no reason for shame. There was nothing that generated it, brought it into, but now, but now, there is. Bliss was it in that dawn to be alive and to be young was very heaven, but no longer. Now, what had been pure was pure no longer. It had been corrupted, not just tarnished, corrupted, twisted, debased. Theirs was now an evil eye and their whole body was full of darkness. To the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled and the unbelieving, nothing is pure. That's Satan. Nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. That defiled mind and that depraved conscience 
was expressive now of a oneness with the one who can't think a pure thought. The one who can't see anything lovely in what is lovely. Who can't say a word by way of good report. Everything is twisted and distorted. Here was a sin that made Adam and Eve like sin's author in mind and thought and desire. They knew shame for the first time in their life. And in addition to shame, they knew fear because the reason for shame created guilt and guilt before God brought fear into being and they hid themselves from each other. Formally, no reason to do that. Now, they can't stand the sight of themselves or that the other should see them. What's happened? Harmony has been completely disrupted. It comes to light, doesn't it? In the verses that follow. That task that God had given to them, to be fruitful and multiply, could no longer be contemplated with purity. Sin was now part and parcel of it and would be transmitted mysteriously but really. And then they hear the voice, the sound of the Lord God in the garden in the cool of the day and they hide. They hide from the one who made them in his image and in his likeness, who put them in his garden shrine, gave them all that they could conceivably wish. They had beautiful trees to look on. Now they're hiding behind them. They had every kind of food that they could conceivably need. They were surrounded by goodness. And the one who had given that immense goodness to them, the fountain, the author of it, is now someone that they feel the need to hide from. Guilt. Guilt is something Satan knows. He's the ultimate artful dodger. He's forever pretending to be absent when he's present. Not the liar nor the murderer. The one who knows, who tells the truth, who offers life. Here's him exposed. in the conditions that prevail in those who were originally nothing but good. Such a change. Will there ever again be a bright morning? Can there be? Only, only, only if the offended, maligned God intervenes only and you know he does and to him be the praise and the glory forever having done so he sends someone who stands in the exact position that Adam stood 
in order that you and I might be restored to the image and likeness that we despised. Not Gaia, nor the giant turtle in Galapagos, Darwin's 200th anniversary, the God-man, Jesus Christ. He comes. He's tested. He triumphs. Be glad and grateful that a second Adam to the fight and to the rescue came. And be content to be nothing more than a human being remade in the image and likeness of God. Let God be God. Don't try to deify yourself. You'll debase yourself. Be content to be a human. Made in, remade in, being conformed to, and ultimately being made completely and forever. It lasts. Being like and with Jesus the image of God forever and ever. Let us pray. Lord our God, our Savior, there is no other creator, sustainer, ruler, judge, and no other Savior. And we thank Thee for so great salvation through Jesus Christ thine incarnate son who was tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin and who will save to the uttermost those who come unto thee by him hear us for his sake and receive our prayers Amen Copyright 2009 Westminster Seminary, California all rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this broadcast on our website is preferred.